and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, good morning. And welcome to, uh, to church this morning. I have the honor of uh, giving the message this morning, which I always, uh, I always treasure. So um, as people are finding their seats, I, have, uh, I just want to get started with a quick word of prayer. So if you'll join me, uh, we'll pray together and then we'll get started this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for another opportunity to gather in this place and worship with uh, fellow Christians and like-minded believers. God, I pray that you would just bless our time together this morning in your word. God, fill this place with your Holy Spirit and open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us now. So God, we just thank you for these things and we pray all this in your name. Amen. So I've got a couple of questions for you this morning to get started. First one is, have you ever lost anything? (laughs) it's an awful feeling I mean your blood pressure goes up your anxiety increases depending on the importance of what you may have lost or misplaced you might lose sleep or even have a panic attack seldom do we do we lose something or misplace it and just kind of adopt that attitude where we say meh it'll turn up I know that's not me. I don't react that way. Instead, we begin retracing our steps, checking everywhere that we've been, everything that we've touched in recent memory. We start looking in the weirdest places. Where's the TV remote? Well, it might be in the refrigerator. I don't know. When we find what we've misplaced or what we've lost, we're incredibly relieved, and we want everybody to know And we always say, it was in the last place I looked. Well, of course, because if it wasn't in the last place you looked, why did you keep looking? So imagine now, instead of just losing, let's say, a wallet or car keys or something like that, imagine that you are uh, the the best man in a wedding. And imagine that uh, it's your closest friend in the entire world. And before the wedding, he he hands you the rings, the wedding rings to hold on to for the ceremony. And at that special moment during the ceremony, you're supposed to present them to the pastor. And uh, you, you put them in your pocket. But in all the hustle and bustle and busyness of the day, you've lost the rings. But you don't realize that you've lost the rings until, well, the ceremony has started and you're standing there and everybody's looking up front and you're trying to figure out, well, I don't have the rings on me. I don't know what to do. Now, that's that's truly panic right there. Now, last scenario. Imagine that what you've replaced, that what you've lost or misplaced isn't a thing at all. It's a person. 
It's a child. This child means everything in the world to you because God himself has placed that child in your care. What we're going to look at today in Scripture is a time when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, the only Son of God. So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to uh, Luke chapter 2. If you need to use the uh, blue uh, Bible in the pew, it's on, on page 1015. So it's no accident that Luke places this story at the end of Luke 2. You know, we see in Luke, uh, Luke 2 that uh, we've got the nativity story. It starts with, uh, with an angel uh, appearing to Mary, telling her that she's going to have a baby, and that this baby would ultimately be the savior of, the, of his people. He was to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, and that he would, in fact, be the Son of God. An angel also visits Joseph, and he was told not to put Mary away, but instead that he should marry her and raise the child as his own. And then we pick up in Luke 2 because, uh, you know, there's a census taking place in Rome, and Mary and Joseph have to travel to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem so that they can take part in the census. So they travel there, and they find that there's nowhere to stay. All the rooms are booked, and Joseph forgot to go on his travel app and make a reservation. So we find that uh, they are left in a dark, dreary stable, and Mary goes into labor. They have the baby, and we know where it goes from there after that. Uh, Mary and Joseph then take uh, baby Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple, to have him dedicated and to, uh, to take care of their ceremonial obligations. It's here that they encounter uh, Simeon and Anna, and then they return to Bethlehem. When they get back to Bethlehem, they move into a house where they would live for a couple of years, and it's there at that house that the wise men come to visit. And uh, after the wise men leave, of course, Joseph is uh, told in a dream that Herod is trying to kill them and he needs to flee. So they go to Egypt, and after Herod dies, they come back to Judea, to Galilee, and ultimately settle back in Nazareth. The Bible tells us this because... Most of these things, if not all of these things, fulfill prophecy. And it's important in the life of Jesus along the way to understand the different points at which he fulfills prophecy, because there's a lot of them. Luke also wants his reader in, Luke, in chapter 2 to understand that Jesus was born and raised as a child in observance of all of the ceremonial laws of the Hebrew faith. And that brings us to our passage this morning. Now, to truly understand our passage this morning, you have to understand what's, in, what's written there in verse 42. Verse 42 says that Jesus 
is now 12 years old. So as we approach our passage this morning, don't forget that Jesus is now 12 years old. All of the wonderful things that have taken place at the Nativity are 10, 12 years behind us, and um, we're now ready to take a trip with Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So let's pick up in verse 41 together. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a, for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. Verse 49, Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men. So I want you to understand here that we've, we've now lost Jesus. We don't know where he is. We've gone to the, the temple for Passover. Uh, we find in, in Exodus 23 uh, that uh, Jewish men were to find themselves in the temple uh, observing uh, one of the Jewish feasts at least three times a year, either for the feast of the Passover, the feast of Pentecost, or the feast of Tabernacle. But as people throughout the Roman Empire began to spread, and the Jewish people spread all over the Roman Empire, we find that it became acceptable for Jewish men to travel back to Jerusalem maybe once a year for one of the festivals instead of three times a year for all three festivals. So a boy... The other thing to, to realize here is that a boy officially becomes a man in the Jewish faith at the age of 13. It's, it's then that they would celebrate what was called the Son of the, uh, Son of the Covenant Ceremony, which is now uh, observed as the uh, Bar Mitzvah. It was considered good preparation for boys 11, 12 years old to go with dad to the temple to observe the feast so that he could become familiar with everything that needed to be done to be able to continue to observe 
tradition and continue to be part of uh, that ceremonial rite. So we read here that Joseph takes his family down to Jerusalem every Passover to fulfill this duty. And Joseph and Mary, so Joseph and Mary were very religious and observant of tradition. So they make the three-day hike from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now, as they're leaving, they realize they've gone a day's journey home, and they realize that, they've, that Jesus isn't with them. So some people might find Joseph and Mary irresponsible or even neglectful of their parental duties when you read this. Imagine traveling for an entire day not knowing that you've left not only your child but Jesus behind. But I want to warn you, before you condemn Joseph and Mary, consider that people would often travel in large caravans when they would go to, these, the, to observe these feasts. Because the roads, the, the travel, a three-day journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem could be treacherous. The roads could be filled with robbers at night, people wishing to do uh, innocent people harm to, uh, to, uh, to you know, rob them or whatever. So families would travel in large caravans, including immediate family, aunts, uncles, cousins, extended families, neighbor, uh, neighborhoods, or uh, neighbors from their village, and maybe even adjoining, adjoining villages. And in this case, you might have family and friends from not only Nazareth, but Cana, Capernaum, and other cities nearby. So the custom was that the women and, the, and children would travel at the front of the caravan because you can imagine that a woman and a small child are going to move probably a little bit slower because she has to care for the child along the way. They're going to move slower than everybody at the back. So in order to be able to keep them with the pack, they would give the women and children kind of a head start on the rest of the group. And the men and the young men would travel way at the back of the caravan. So it's safe to assume at age 12, where Jesus is not officially a man because he hasn't turned 13, and hasn't been observed under the Son of the Covenant ceremony, it's safe to assume that maybe Joseph thought that he was at the front of the pack or the front of the caravan with Mary traveling with the kids up front. And it's entirely possible that Mary thought, well, he's with his father at the back traveling with the young man, and he's messing around back there and playing and having a good time. So in like manner, Joseph is, is coming from the rear, and they're, just, they're kind of both assuming something maybe that's not right. So at the end of the day, the caravan stops, they go to set up camp, 
And when they do, all their friends would gather, all friends and family would gather around the campfire, and they would spend time talking about the experience of the Passover feast and everything that they had done in Jerusalem. And it's not until this point in the day that Mary and Joseph realize that Jesus hasn't been with either one of them, and they don't know where he is. So the question that filled them with anxiety is, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's my son? Joseph says, well, I thought he was with you. Mary says, no, no, I thought he was with you. They look all throughout the caravan amongst family and friends, and they couldn't find him anywhere. So Mary and Joseph alone set out in the dark to return to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. And all along the way, they're yelling in the streets for Jesus and hoping to find him somewhere along the way. But they couldn't find him. Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us they spent three days looking for Jesus. I don't personally believe that they spent three days in Jerusalem searching everywhere for Jesus. I think the three days were a day's journey out, a day's journey back, and a day spent looking for Jesus. So when they get back to Jerusalem, they spend a whole day looking uh, for, for Jesus, and he wasn't waiting for them at the front uh, city gate. So they scour the city. They look in all the bazaars, the shops, everything that dotted the streets along the way. They maybe went to the local play area where the kids were hoping to find him. And they couldn't find him. They spend most of that day looking around Jerusalem and they can't find him anywhere. So while it's easy to pass judgment on Mary and Joseph for losing Jesus, what I want to do this morning is I want to challenge each of us to consider this. How many times in our lives have we misplaced Jesus? The problem was that Mary and Joseph were just engrossed in their own busyness. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with what they had done. They were observing the ceremony. They were getting packed up, getting ready to leave. They're concerned with being part of the caravan as it leaves so they don't get left behind. So there's nothing really wrong with what they had done. It's just ultimately that they lost Jesus along the way somewhere. Because what they were involved with, the journey home, wasn't his, Jesus's priority. So he got, they got distracted and he got left behind because their priorities weren't his priorities. How easy is it for us to be distracted from God's priorities? We fill our lives with all sorts of good things, enjoyable things. Just like Mary and Joseph did. 
But when we leave behind Jesus, when we leave Jesus behind, because even good things aren't necessarily Jesus's priority for our lives. So then the starting pistol fires, we're off doing our own thing, just kind of living our life, everything's going well. And what we don't realize is that we've been neglecting our relationship with Jesus and we're leaving him further and further behind in our own lives. Now, I want you to hear this because this is important. When I talk about losing the presence of Jesus or leaving Jesus behind, I am not talking about losing your, losing your faith or losing your salvation. No, because once you're saved, you're saved forever. You're not going to lose that. But there's a difference between our salvation and our relationship with Jesus. So think about it like this. Relationship means union with Christ. And fellowship means communion with Christ. The Bible tells us that the way we lose fellowship with Christ is through sin. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they're agreed? Walking together with Christ is fellowship. It means going where he goes, doing what he's doing, being a fellow worker with him and following him. So when we talk with Jesus, when we walk with Jesus in communion, having a common goal with him and having common desires. But when we sin, and when we allow sin to creep into our lives, what we're doing is we're disagreeing with God. And when we allow sin to creep into our lives, Jesus isn't going to walk with us in that sin. So as I'm walking along the way and I'm just entertaining sin in my life, in essence, I'm pushing Jesus further and further behind me and I'm allowing the sin and the things in life that displease him to take his place. You and I can't enjoy the fellowship with Christ if we're covering ourselves in sin. You can be saved and you might have that relationship with God as a son or daughter, but you may not be fellowshipping with him. You may not truly be spending time with him. Mary and Joseph are in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover and they're doing their religious duty. But at some point they got caught up in the ritual of it all the duty aspect of it, and they lost Jesus. It probably just took a moment. They got distracted. Something grabbed their attention or their focus just away, and it was, that was all it took. So I want to ask you, how much 
Has Christ truly been the center of your Advent season this year? Do we get so caught up in the shopping and everything else that takes place and making sure that everything is just absolutely perfect for family that we lose track of the fact that Jesus really is the reason for the season. Or were you walking in fellowship with Christ today? You might be here and you might have absolutely no relationship with Christ at all. And you're wondering, what do I do? How do I, how do I get that? Or you could be a Christian that has been a Christian for years and you've just kind of been just kind of slowly walking away from Christ, pushing him into the background just a little bit. It's perhaps possible that you've gone so far down the path of the, uh, without the presence and the fellowship of Christ in your life, you don't even know he's not there anymore. I pray that's not the case for everyone, for anyone here this morning. Mary and Joseph spent an entire day journeying without realizing that he was gone. How far have we allowed ourselves at times in life to travel without realizing that we've left God behind? Understand that Mary and Joseph loved Jesus with everything they had. It wasn't their intention to go on without him. It just kind of happened. Unfortunately, they got caught up going along with the crowd and they didn't realize that Jesus wasn't in the crowd. Instead, he had gone to his father's house. And now they have to look for him. The next thing I want to point out is where Mary and Joseph looked for Jesus. The first place that they looked for Jesus was amongst family and friends. There's times where in our lives we've tried to adopt the faith of those around us. I know I have. Where I'm just kind of in a a blah period in my faith. And I've looked and I've said, wow, that person is really on fire for the Lord. And you try to maybe do what they're doing a little bit and you try to imitate their faith to try to get just a little bit of what they've got. Mary and Joseph couldn't find Jesus amongst their relatives because he wasn't to be found in their lives. Instead, Mary and Joseph had to discover Jesus for themselves personally. You can't ride on the coattails of parents or friends or people involved in the church. Everyone here this morning needs to find Jesus for themselves personally. For Mary and Joseph, that meant going back to where they had lost him. It means remembering what Jesus prioritizes and what he was so interested in. 
For some of us, the search for Jesus takes a lot of time. For Mary and Joseph, it took three days' journey to find Jesus. Imagine their distress. They had lost not only their son, they've lost the Son of God. I mean, can you imagine Joseph saying, we've lost him. I promised God that I would raise this child as my own, and now God knows that I I can't be trusted with that. How much anxiety does that produce? People look for Jesus in all sorts of areas, emotional experiences, social reform, self-help theologies. Seldom is he ever found there because that's not where Jesus likes to hang out. If we want to discover Jesus, we need to look in the right places. Mary and Joseph eventually found Jesus in the right place. They went to the temple. When they found him, their emotional frustration is so evident in verse 48. When Mary says, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Well, that's the understatement of the year, right? Isn't it funny how often we try to blame God when we wander off? They were in effect saying, why did you leave us, Jesus? But hang on, it was Mary and Joseph who ultimately left Jesus. He never puts distance. Jesus never puts distance between himself and us. If there's ever a distance that's created, it's us creating a distance between us and him. Our sin and our wanderings cause damage to our relationship. Where was Jesus ultimately found? In the temple. The first recorded words of Jesus in the entire Bible, chronologically, are this. Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So here Jesus was in his father's house, not Joseph's house, his heavenly father's house, God's house, in the presence of God. And what is he doing? He's sitting at the feet of the Jewish scholars, and he's asking questions, and he's having a dialogue with them, and he's flat out amazing them. It's the custom of the, it was the custom of the day that after the Passover feast, visiting rabbis and scholars, you know, the real theologians of the day, the PhDs of Israel, would stay around the city because this is, would be one of the few times of the year when they could actually sit together in the temple courts and talk about issues of faith and theology. So these men are buzzing back and forth, talking about their theological theories or differences. And here's here's Jesus just sitting amongst them. Not only asking them questions about what they believe, 
but also educating them to a certain extent. Certainly this boy was a child prodigy, but even a child prodigy of such an advanced learning, they had never witnessed anything like this in their lives. They saw clearly, these Jewish leaders saw clearly that this boy knew more than they did at almost every point. So here's a question. How did Jesus know so much? Those who say that he knew all of it because of his divine nature are ultimately saying that his, his divine nature is omniscient, therefore his human nature has to be omniscient. To the answer to this, we, we say we can't divide the two natures, his divine nature and his human nature, but we can distinguish between the two. Think about it this way. When Jesus walked down the street, he had feet, he had toes, he had hands, he had fingers, he had all these things. Does the divine nature have any reason for hands or feet, fingers or toes? No, because God has no form. God is not physical. The divine nature doesn't need those things. So how about when Jesus got hungry or thirsty? Did that show forth his deity or his humanity? It's his humanity. God doesn't get hungry or thirsty. So what we're doing is we're distinguishing, we're not separating. Even when he was thirsty in his human nature... His thirsty human nature is still perfectly united with his divine nature. But it wasn't the divine nature that was thirsty. But what about when it comes to knowledge? One of the things that drove the, uh, the great theologian Thomas Aquinas to absolute distraction is a problem that's found in Mark's Gospel. Where at the end of Jesus' life, the disciples are asking him, when are you coming back? And Jesus gives some general answers to the question, and then he says, but the day and the hour no man knows, only the Father and not even the Son. Thomas Aquinas said, well, that can't be. Jesus had to know the day and the hour. Jesus was incarnate. So what Thomas Aquinas is ultimately saying here is certainly the divine nature knew, and because they're perfectly united, the human nature had to know also. To this we say no. Jesus' human knowledge is limited, is as limited as anybody else's human knowledge until God, through the deity, made it allowable to be known to the human knowledge. 
For example, we see time and again in the Old Testament prophets that people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel all had this supernatural knowledge of future events. But did, So did they gain this knowledge from natural insight or by going to some Jewish school somewhere? No, they gained this knowledge because God had revealed it to them. Just like Jesus says in, in John 12, 49, as he touches his own humanity, he says, I say nothing on my own authority, but only what the Father tells me. So how does Jesus know so much? Because God is letting that divine nature fill the human nature with this knowledge so that he's able to sit amongst these Jewish scholars and just impress them. But he didn't do it for the sake of impressing them. He did it for the sake of teaching them. Time and time again, we see in Jesus' ministry, he tried to teach the, the Jewish leaders. How many times was Jesus faced with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they were challenging him and every time he tried to teach them a lesson. But their hearts were hard and their vision was clouded and they just, they weren't getting it. So the question for us here this morning is where are we? Have we lost Jesus? Have we left him behind because we're pursuing different priorities than he is? If this is the case, you can just stop. We don't need to keep going in that. Turn around and go back and find him. Figure out where you've lost Jesus along the way. Ask him to come back into your life and fill your heart and come back into communion with you and start doing those things that help. But what about those of us who feel comfortable? We feel as though Jesus is safe and secure with us. But I give you this warning as well. It can be this quick before we begin to wander off the path. So what are we doing to ensure that we make our priorities his priorities and that everything lines up? For us here at Carl Road Baptist Church, we have a wonderful opportunity. We can ensure that our priorities and his priorities line up through joining or leading a discipleship triad. In these triads, you're going to be challenged to learn and develop good spiritual habits like reading and studying the Word of God, meditating on Scripture, developing a regular prayer life where we can talk with God daily. So if you've left Jesus behind at some point, I encourage you, I challenge you to find him as quickly as you can. 
to put things back into that right place that ensures that our priorities remain the same as his. Our passage today ends by noting that Jesus ultimately goes back to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and becomes obedient to them in all things. Mary takes all of this into her heart, savoring the fact that not only has her boy returned safely, but understanding that she doesn't entirely understand what happened. She doesn't entirely understand the whole incident at the temple where he's amazing the Jewish scholars and he's talking about being in his father's house. So she treasures all this up and she thinks about it. The Bible tells us in verse 52 that from that point forward, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and men. This is the last account that we have of Jesus' childhood. The next time that we encounter Jesus in Scripture is when he appears with John the Baptist to be blessed and baptized and begin his earthly ministry. So I'm going to end today by telling you about a certain old hermit who lived deep in the mountains of Colorado. When he died, distant relatives came from the city to collect the valuables that he had. Upon arriving, they saw an old shack with an outhouse next to it. Next to the rock fireplace inside the shack was an old cooking pot and some mining equipment. A cracked table with a three-legged chair stood guard by a tiny window. A kerosene lamp would serve as the centerpiece for the table, and then the dark corner of a little room nearby was a dilapidated cot with a threadbare roll on, bed roll on it. So the family goes through and they pick through some different things, taking what they think could be valuable or worth remembering him by, and they begin to leave. As they're driving away, a friend of the old hermit, riding up on a mule, flags them down. And he asks them, he says, hey, do you guys mind if I go back to my friend's cabin and help myself to whatever's left? Go ahead. They tell him, I mean, after all, the shack uh, was, was falling down. They, there was nothing valuable to be had inside. The old friend goes back to the cabin, walks directly over to the table. He reaches under it and lifts up one of the floorboards. He then proceeds to take out all of the gold that his friend had discovered over the past 53 years. Enough to have built a palace. 
The hermit died with only this one person knowing his true worth. As the friend looked out, uh, out the little window and watched the cloud of dust behind the relative's car disappear, he says to himself, they probably should have gotten to know him better. Have we misplaced the gold? Have we lost Jesus? Or are we just looking in the wrong places for him? We just need to get to know him better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us today how quickly we can fall out of fellowship with you and what we must do to abide in you more. Lord, I thank you for filling and blessing us this morning. Amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.